Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. I am your host, Scott Ramage. On this amazing day, we have our guest, Paul Stream. Paul is a contractor and an entrepreneur. As he says, he's a talent stacker, uh, (laughs) which we all understand. If you're an entrepreneur, you know exactly what that means. He has been married for seven years, and he has a boy who is three and a half years old. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but uh, just recently, very recently, Paul released his very first book, The Code of Honor, a field manual, and I'm super excited to talk about that. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, man. I'm doing fantastic. That's that's great. We already blew out about 20 minutes of our podcast talking before you went live. That's, uh, that's what I like. I mean... It, sometimes I regret not hitting re- record the very second we're rolling, um, but it, someday I'll learn. I'm a sl- I, sometimes I'm a slow learner. So oh, well, good, man. Yeah. So three and a half year old boy. I yeah. want to jump right into that because. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Before we'll talk we about got, him for a few hours, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's just talk about um, you posted today in our group. And uh, it was a picture of him, first day of school. So tell us yep. about that. Um, I'm 54, and he's three and a half. That huge generational gap there, I think he'll benefit from it, but I'm also benefiting from it because I'm learning from him. He's three and a half, and he's already, already taught me so much. Uh, but the story about him is how he came into my life. Um, we uh, adopted him, and it was a private adoption. And the way it happened is, uh, you know, I'm a believer. Uh, and he, I, I don't it was from God. It was a trip. If you want to burn seven to 10 minutes on that, I can tell you how he came into my life. It's pretty powerful. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to seize the moment. <laughs> Let's do Come it. Restroom. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, me and my, I got, um, well, I'm from divorce, but I never had kids before with my ex and I was married for uh, about five, six years before that and uh, did a sabbatical, which we'll talk about a celibate sabbatical to make sure that wouldn't happen again. Would I get married again? And I got reconnected with April, my wife, uh, who was actually the one that got away from gosh, 20 years ago. And that's a love story in itself, how we got hooked up again. Uh, we tried having kids. We're a little late in the game. We tried in vitro a couple times. And I think in vitro is Latin for expensive disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> we did it twice and it was no go. And um, just so the men know that I'm on here, I don't speak Christianese. I'll behave on your podcast out of respect, but I'm, a, I'm a, like a, a swashbuckling pirate. I, I, you know, I cuss and swear. I try not to drop three F-bombs describing how good a cheeseburger is, but I, you know, going so long before I became a believer, living one way, that still leaks out. You're a regular man. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and the reason I'm telling you that is because after the second, we lost twins and um, we thought we had them. You know, we were buying stuff for them and setting up the room and oh. I bought two Pendletons for them because it was going to be two boys and we lost them. And I'm driving to work, and this is, you know, five years ago, and I'm cussing and swearing at God. I'm pissed. I think God likes that anyway. Anything relational with him, I think he appreciates. So I'm dropping every F-bomb under the moon to him. How could you do this? I've worked so hard for you. I've done this. I've done that. Uh, You know, running the men's ministry, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. Also, I, I thought I had earned something right right and god doesn't talk to me in words like hello paul this is god talking he speaks to me in emotions he'll set me at ease um through either anger any type of emotion god will put into my system to where i know he's affecting me and the moment i was telling him i go how could you do this you've done it twice to us you got our hopes up we prayed we prayed we prayed we worked and my wife does a lot of work with human trafficking and stuff. And we're just, you know, trying to you know, be a benefit to the community. And this is how we're rewarded. Well, life's tough. And he put 
a sense of comfort over me that is indescribable. The comfort was this. He had something better planned. And I, I knew it. I said, okay. I called my wife. Uh, at that time, you talk about talent stacking. I was selling rare coins and precious metals as a commodity uh, in an upper scale Newport Beach community. And I would start my day at 5 a.m. because I had a bunch of East Coast clients. So the sun's just peeking over the hills. God gives me this comfort. I call and wake up my wife. She's still sleeping. And I go, honey, this is what God told me. And she goes, okay, I believe you. And she, you know, she's still crying because we just found out the, fall, the previous day. Fast forward about a year and a half, two years later, we've been looking to adopt. We were always looked over because of our age and no kids. Um, so we we're kind of at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Not blacklisted, but never called upon because we're old, man. And got, I got a call from the pastor's wife. Now, the church I volunteered at was a hardcore frontline recovery church. Everybody there was coming out of something, right? And, you know, jail, addiction, everything. Get a call from the pastor's wife, and she says, Paul, you got um, to come down here. There's a young girl. She's an addict. She's living in, on the streets, and she's like five months pregnant. She doesn't know if the baby's alive, but she wants to give it up for adoption. Oh. So, but she doesn't know what to do. She had just gotten back from Planned Parenthood, but she was too far along. She, so my son, who I look at now, who just started his first day of school, was in the waiting room for about four hours at Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood and they were trying to make it happen. Wow. So he was, on the, he was on the chopping block. Now, that being said, I don't want to dwell on that because that young girl was not in her right mind. She was checking out options uh, as a last resort. Luckily, God led her to our church because I think she had Googled maybe, like, where do I go? Uh, where's the recovery church that I can find uh, sanctuary at? We got her in a recovery home. We got her on a recovery program. She was on heroin, so she got on methadone. The baby was born an addict. Uh, private adoption, we signed it over. I was there at the delivery, not in the delivery room, uh, but my wife, we were right there. And the yeah. baby was born literally in our arms. And we took him home. Uh, he was in I, um, ICU, uh, NICU, whatever, for, um, gosh, a month, I think three oh, weeks. Wow. And then when we brought him home, he had to kick heroin on methadone uh, for another four to six weeks, weaned him off of it, and he's fully healthy. You can see the picture on your uh, Facebook page. Fully healthy, beautiful boy, uh, half Filipino, half Caucasian, so he's got that hapa good looks. Yep. And I'm just truly blessed. And God had something better planned. Amen. That's what he did. Boom. Wow. Father, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. We're, you know, we, we barely make it work, but God blesses us. We always have food on the table and a little extra money for dumb fun, we call it. And we're just blessed. Yeah, That's, that's the story of him. Yeah. Did I leave anything out? I don't think so. I that's got a kid who's three and a half. Yeah. That is an incredible story. And I, I love the, the, uh, the hope you know, and you guys just carried on and it, I, you made the transition sound so quick, you know, later, only a year and a half later, we had this call or whatever, you know, um, so painful. that was a yeah. painful, um, and good call for pointing that out because the disappointment from the, uh, miscarriages and then the rejection from the adoption and the yearning to want to have a kid and being denied, uh, my, well, we're going to talk about stoicism. Yes. Uh, it just helped me immensely. And my wife needed a rock to, you know, bedrock to build upon that and just to hold on to me as I pressed forward and we pressed forward. Yeah. And it was tough. It wasn't easy. And I trusted and it happened. Yeah. That's... I didn't even know. Just so I could fill that in. I didn't know that something better was even a kid. Yeah. Right. So it, it was uh, whatever it is. I'm just trusting that that's what it, that something's yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he was saying, Oh, I got something better planned. It's going to be this kid that's going to rock your world. No, I didn't know what it was. So the first foundation, we, we spelled out the word father and the F we, we stands for faith. 
And I think a lot of times people hear faith and they're like, oh, this is a Christian organization. I need to turn and run. And we could probably, you and I could probably talk about that all day. I am a Christian and I, I let people know that. But for us, faith is exactly what happened to you is you got to have something where you can believe that something, someone or something bigger is going to have some sort of impact on your life. And you guys had the ultimate faith. I mean, and it had to be extremely uh, exhausting and emotional. And um, I really want to dig into this, this stoicism thing first, uh, first, first day of school for which uh, another epic win. And I think this comes from being an older parent um, is that you named your son jet. Yeah. Your last name is stream. And I'm just like, that is like a huge win. <laughs> yeah, he has no choice to be, be but to be badass. That's all. He has. <laughs> Dude, I'm serious. I'm serious. I was like, why didn't I get really like, like really creative? Uh, so that's that's awesome. Um, so first day, were the emotions high? Uh, first day of school this morning. Yeah, yeah, because he's fearless, and there is a um, talk about faith, like a blind faith and ignorance to fearlessness sometimes i have mm-hmm. a cliche when i when i coach the men i you know when they're taking these huge leaps and uh, risks I, I go whoa 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 there's a fine line between fearless and stupid you know what i mean yeah there <laughs> so is he, it was funny because he was going into the classroom just marching in almost with his hands on his hips like this is my class and as soon as he turned around and realized we weren't going in there with him he turned around and he started crying and that's when I lost it I went oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay tough guy yeah the classroom now he turns around and daddy's not coming he's like wait a minute <laughs> well I wanted to point that out you told me this already that you you know you, it was it was tough for you and the emotions were flying I before we jump into stoicism I think it's really really incredibly important to point out that there's a very fine line for men. There, there is a place to be absolutely vulnerable and open and uh, cry or whatever it is that you need to do. And I also really want to um, talk about this, uh, what I'd call Lieutenant Dan moment. So you were in the car swearing at God, you know, and if you think of the, the movie Forrest Gump. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan moment. Yes. Yeah. He, it's that, that storm is coming. Right. And he's just yeah. angry. He's angry. He's dealing with PTSD. He's got no legs. And um, I know it's a movie, but he's up on the mass and he's just screaming at God and he's challenging God and he's going all in. And that was like the pivotal moment of his life. Yeah. And um, I had a pivotal moment, very similar to that. And you've had that. I would say that was a very pivotal moment for you where you just got this piece. I started, I was on a walk and just started going off on God too. And literally I would say that is a moment that I found out I had some sort of something inside of me. And I would say it was God speaking to me of Mm -hmm. you're going to do something that's going to matter. And that was the birth of brotherhood of fatherhood. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So, so for I, 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 so we had our Lieutenant Dan moments where we were just pissed, and and um, so yeah. I, I love that, that, and I think men sometimes need to know it's okay to have that time where you are can be angry. Um, yeah. However, there's a very fine line. You, yeah, you have to. You, I, strategic's the wrong word for it. You, you want to have uh, honorable, an honorable time to do it. Now, if you're doing that in front of your wife, uh, be prepared for, and that's okay, but be pre- prepared for her to um, maybe test you in a greater sense to like, hey man, are you the leader? Are you Okay, you're falling apart right now, which I get, which you can do in front of your wife. They're there, they're your partner, right? Right. Uh, I just say, be careful with that. I don't promote that. If you're going to fall apart, do it in a trusted circle of men where they can gather around you and lift you up. So when you do go to your wife, you're not keeping it in. It's not secret or anything. Um, And my wife knows I do it. I have accountability partners that I'll go off on and just like better than them than her. Right. Absolutely. And bringing home the pain. She just wants to know everything's okay. And if it's not, give her enough BS to where she thinks it is. 
unless it's completely falling apart, then you got to share, you know what I mean? But no, you don't bring a hundred percent of your masculinity as far as emotions and spilled beans into the household. That's why you have men in your life. And that's why I wrote the book too. I talk a lot about it in the book, but my Lieutenant Dan moment was way before that. I know that was, that was a Lieutenant Dan moment. Yeah, I guess I have a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, awesome. it's been a hundred um, percent uh, devoted, um, and not to sound Christianese too, because it wasn't really my rock bottom. I was already divorced, and I was on my journey for a clean. I was I went sober for five years. I do have a cocktail here and there now, um, but I was just a drinking, drugging guy. Uh, but no rock bottom. I never woke up in a Tijuana jail saying, how did I get here? You know what I mean? It, it right. wasn't like that. I was just a partier, just a dumb, selfish partier. Um, and it, it cost me the marriage because I married one just like that, right? So that fed that lifestyle. Um, so I don't know, six months to a year, I'm by myself. Uh, house is foreclosed. Uh, tried to hang on to it myself. I've accepted Christ into my life a hundred percent, did the prayer, did everything. And I was going to different churches, kind of church hopping, trying to get connected with a community of believers. And I hated them all. I, I shouldn't say hate. I did not see eye to eye with them all. Right. Uh, why the men, uh, the men were uh, passive, um, uh, limp. I don't know how to describe them. They were just, uh, Week and I, I noticed the women were pretty much running the church. You had a, a guy pastor, but the uh, clergy and everything—I don't know what you call them—the the people running the actual church were all women, and the women were more powerful in the church setting than men. Even though the men had the titles, it, that's okay, I guess. But there was no men's ministry. That's the bottom line. Okay. Right. So I would always do. Um, my Bible studies myself in my garage. I hang, I'm a garage guy, right? Man cave, whatever you want to call it. And so I'm talking, I'm having a Lieutenant Dan moment. I'm going to steal that by the way. Go for it. <laughs> and I told God, I'm like, okay, I've been on this walk for, you know, six to eight months now, God. And uh, I tell you, I don't like your men. Your men suck. I can't relate to any of them. They speak Christianese. Um, I got to mind my P's and Q's around them. I can't be myself around them because I'm, just now saved, but I have uh, 45 years of construction working uh, swashbuckling under my belt, okay? Yep. How does that transpire into the, the church world? Well, it doesn't. I, you know, you need work. You're a, you're a pariah in this community, so let's get you some help and, um, you know, scripture you. Okay, scripture held to me like a shower on a humid day. It didn't take exactly. because I was who I was and it wasn't really having meaning sinking in. Uh, after telling God how I felt about his men, that feeling, he basically said, it was almost a voice. Man, this is as close to his voice as God. He's like, well, do something about it. He's like, do something about it, Paul. And I go, what am I supposed to do? He goes, you'll, trust me, you'll know what to do. I, within six months of that, um, started attending a Bible study with an old thug friend of mine that was saved, a uh, great guy. He felt the same way I did. And this is how the men's ministry started. It was a Bible study, right? And it was about three of us, sometimes five, three to five guys. We'd meet at a coffee shop. The guys would show up, beat down from the day, and now we get to talk about scripture and dissect the Bible. Oh, well, so much fun. Good, it's supposed to be a good thing, right? Because you're going to get into the word, right? Great. And these guys were fresh. These guys weren't theologians. These guys weren't uh, pastors or anything. And they were a mess from the day. So I said, hey, man, let's check in. One through ten. How you doing, man? Before we get into the word, let's clear the day. Let's check in. If anybody's spinning out, if anybody wants to commit murder right now, let's get it out on the table <laughs> before we get into the word. So we can be more focused on what we're here for, and that's studying the word. And the check-ins were a bigger hit than the actual Bible study itself. The next week, we had three more dudes. 
the next week, 10 more dues. And it organically grew to uh, over 100 men, not at the coffee shop, but the, men, the men's ministry that it is now called the Armory that Johnny Vaughn that you spoke to was in. Um, guys just want to check in. Yep, they do. They just want to check in. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? That bad? Wow. Tell me about it. Don't tell me a story, but just tell me about it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I always say, you can tell me how you're doing in four sentences. If not, it's a story and that's fine. And if you're spinning out, if you're at your wits end and if this is a crisis, then we'll dive into it and take care of you. But if you're having a bad day because your boss got sideways, you know, boo-hoo. Right. Enter stoicism. Stoicism started coming in after that. I'm like, that Bible study with those guys checking in, everybody, I noticed a pattern. Everybody, this was the birth of stoicism into my life in which I started studying it. I think I Googled emotions slash men. Oh, good. Right? Right. And kind of fell into it. No one told me, like, hey, you know, you've got to check out some stoicism. What you're doing is very stoic. No, I, found, I organically just found out about it myself by investigating emotions and man and how toxic it can be if not managed well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we're in 2020 now. That men's ministry is still going. I, uh, Jet's my men's ministry now um i still help out we have a conference coming up yeah i saw that they you know called upon me to maybe help and you know with a name and marketing and all the stuff and a topic so it's called um the reckoning men's conference 2020 hello there's no there's no camera on me but i just dropped the mic (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked to be still part of it and they allow me to be, still be part of it, even though I'm running, uh, you know, a whole different game right now. My ministry now is a ministry I call get on my lawn and guys from all over Christian, atheist, whatever, Buddhist, they get on my lawn. Why? To check in. Yeah. And it's just a volunteer thing. And I posted on my Instagram site, get on my lawn. And the only payment I want is a picture of you on my front lawns for transparency. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about, I don't post what we talked about. That's personal. But to promote the next guy, to feel okay to just get on my lawn and talk about it. Yep. Yep. That's so cool. I think, um, and I can't, I can't say this for sure, but I think a lot of men join the brotherhood to as a virtual lawn because they don't have a lawn they don't have a place to check in and right you know we're trying to cultivate that that place for guys to check in you hit something you had an amazing moment today like yours with your son you've you've hit a a bump in the road and and you get to check in and then other men are just kind of like yeah man hey dude that sucks or hey that's so cool um so i too stoicism is rather new to me. Let's say a couple of years. Um, the people that I, I contract for talk a lot about it and practice it and taught me a lot. And I, I, um, I struggled with it because I'm like, well, wait, how does this fit with my belief system? And, yeah. and um, I but, did too. Yeah. But when I really understood and thanks to Josh, that's something Josh Price, the co-founder of Brotherhood really really kind of started talking to me about some the way that he handles these things is his emotions. Um, it, it really makes sense. So let's step back into a very basic understanding of stoicism. So how would you define it? Uh, just layman's terms or whatever works for you. Uh, in, in one sentence to be at peace with yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where the danger lies because of the word self. Right. Right. It's a anti-Christian word. Well, it's not self because you're of Christ and all that. I get it. But one of the things I learned through stoicism is the belief system itself. If it were, um, which there's a resurgence of it right now because of the demasculation in society, the resurgence is the need for it. So people are just heading towards stoicism. Stoicism if it were alive and well and new in this day and age, it would be new age. It would be a hippie new age thing. Yep. You know, cause back then it was a tree hugging mother nature, one with the universe thing, right? No salvation involved whatsoever, but 
if you read what they're saying, <laughs> it's very biblical, meaning not paying attention to the outside world, not, not having the outside world have an effect on you to where it ruins your day. Yep. Um, me and my buddy, my accountability partner, Chris Jones, who's actually an associate pastor at my church now, um, we have a saying, being a self-contained unit. And it's in my book. I compare it to um, uh, whiskey barrels, like shipping barrels, like on a ship with the metal straps around it and the wood slats being tightly bound together. Uh, some men go through life just uh, making a mess wherever they go because their emotions are leading them. If your emotions are leading you, you better check yourself unless, you, unless you're so dialed in that you're, I think there's one man on the planet that did that. And he had another name, God, and another name, Jesus. His emotions could lead his way. Absolutely. Because we have an emotional God, right? Um, but us as fallen men, we fall short of that. Stoicism in its purest form is not having the outside world affect you one bit. You don't, if you're having anxiety, it's not because your, your filtration system's shot. You're taking what's happening on the outside world, filtering it into your frontal lobe, logging it into your inventory, and then it stays there and you just start making stuff up. Yeah. It's almost like the outside world gives you a lump of clay. You put it on your pottery wheel in your head and form whatever piece of art you want from it. Now you can let it spin you out and I am not perfect. I still get spun out and I'm not going to go to the cliche of traffic or the guy that cut you off. That's right. easy. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about maybe decisions you've made in your past that you regret, but you haven't dealt with and you're not, you're not at peace with. And then something comes up in society uh, through a conversation, through an altercation at work, anything. And it'll trigger that thing. Yep. It'll trigger it and boom, you're on an emotional roller coaster now. And how are you going to get off of that? If you practice stoicism long enough, um, you'll not master, but you'll get better at the techniques of mastering your emotions. You never master them. You can't because of the curse of the garden. We're broken. Um, stoicism, I'll end it here to put a bow on this topic for me or the explanation Stoicism doesn't tell you what to believe. It helps you believe it. So I apply it to my Christian walk. Mm -hmm. If there's guys out there with different walks, I highly recommend Stoicism because you're just going to better the community. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yep. Um, and I even, the book, if I can step into that, I'm on a bunny yep. trail, but um, the book... The Code of Honor, um, I, I didn't want to make it a Christianese book. There's a few scriptures in there, and that's it. The Christian men that I've given it to, uh, as far along in my walk as I am, uh, some of them are theologians, some of them are professors in the theology, some are pastors. They've all kind of said the same thing because they didn't really get it. I don't know if they're looking to capitalize on it or what. But it kind of turned me off because I don't want to use the Lord's name in vain. They're like, do you realize this could be a Christian thing in Majigger and you could just soak it in scripture and it's all scripture, man. Go scripture this, scripture that, scripture this. I wanted the book to be written and just so happened to be written by a Christian. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all. I didn't want to Christianize anything because the one thing I learned at working at a frontline recovery church and I've seen it is these guys. Now I'm just talking with the men, right? These guys are coming out of jail. I called the men's ministry a nickname. I called it a what now ministry because they're coming out of jail or addiction, right? Mm -hmm. Recovery somehow. And they get filtered into our church through teen challenge or you know, um, structured recovery um, uh, uh, platforms like that. And now they're at our church. They found God there. They found God to help them get through the prison or the rehab or whatever. Now they're in a church setting and they're in the community. Well, what now? You ain't got to get out of nothing now. You just got to get through this thing called life, which is a lot longer than your sentence or your addiction that you were in. So what now? If, and I've seen it, 
if you start blasting scripture at them, it doesn't take like a shower on a humid day. It, I've seen it. it and you, what you need to do is gracefully, and this is where I think talent and maturity and wisdom comes in, which I lack, to help these. And I, the main pastor, his name's Joe Fury at this church, is so patient with all these people. And I see him do it too, where he just doesn't blast him with scripture. And, you know, you're, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. And the guy's just like, what the hell does that mean? Talking about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I run. Yeah, I'm going to run. I'm an addict. I want my next fix. I've only been clean for six months and you're telling me I'm a new creation. Sorry. Yeah. That, you know, I'm, I'm a hustler and I'm, you know, so it's a, it's a touchy subject in the church because especially running a men's ministry based on accountability, because you got this thing called grace too. You know, you can't apply consequence because there is grace involved. And so you have to be very careful with that. And like I said, with my book, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want deliberately, I didn't want it to be a Christian self-help book. There's enough of those out there. So it's a field manual. These guys, it's for someone to just keep in their back pocket and it's a go-to just a check-in and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday I was, I got hit hard for some stupid reason. I just got so angry over the fact that my kids are going back to school and it's like prison. You know, it, it literally is like my son is surrounded by plexiglass and has to wear his mask. And he said, I said, well, how at least you get to be with your friends. He's like, no, we, we don't get to talk. We all have to walk the same direction in the halls. We have to wear these masks. We we're only, we're not allowed to congregate. We're not allowed to even talk in the parking lot at school. You know, he's a high school kid. You can imagine how that's going over. And I, yeah. and I just got so angry at, what is going on right now? And, and the bottom line, and I was like, I am like, our, my, this is my personal view. Our freedoms are being stripped from us one at a time. And now my kids are being subjected to this. And the last, I don't want them to think this is normal. I do not want them to be, uh, start to be, this is a normal, this is the new normal. And what happened though, is I let that take over. And that's where stoicism comes in because I didn't, I didn't practice that yesterday. It literally took over all of my thoughts. I was angry. I was pissed. I wanted to start a revolution, you know? Um, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And, and yep. looking back on it, it controlled, it controlled my day until I was on the phone with, with Josh and I was laying this out to him. He says, Hey dude, like, you know, maybe this is your son's fight. You know what the the main point was this isn't my fight yeah. like I, and um and this is something happening it's not happening to me it's happening it's it's i separated it from myself it was okay yeah. and yeah. um and looked at what i could control like i talk about this a lot there's things in life i can't control those things that i can control my response and the way i walk my kids through this and teach them through this is yeah. what i can control that's awesome that's yeah. uh, that's the you are. Yeah. You're in your first years of stoicism. Like you said, yeah. Stoicism 101 right there. Um, one of the things I learned in my first few years is that you look at anger. Men are just angry. You make a list of things that oh, yeah. describe masculinity and anger is there. Guys are just pissed, right? <laughs> we, just need to, we just need to embrace it. <laughs> Well, if you're angry all the time, no one wakes up angry. No one, you know, stretches in the morning after their third yawn. They hit the, they turn snooze off, put their working pants on, and they're pissed. Okay, no, <laughs> you have to look at anger as the sum total of two or more emotions. So, stoicism one on one. What are you feeling? Why are you feeling angry? Well, I feel uh, disrespected and I feel taken advantage of. Okay, let's look at those. Then the anger subsides because you're now you're dealing with the emotions that are causing that. Uh, okay. That's what I had to do after my divorce. I was on the receiving end of infidelity. So oh, I was like, you talk about anger. I had to deal with that. So um, how to process that feeling uh, ripped off, feeling gypped. Uh, and it helps with uh, the guys that I coach that get on my front lawn and, 
not saying I have the magic cure, but let's, if you're an addict, I've never met one addict that was an addict because it just felt good. He just liked doing dumb stuff and being high. Right. There was always, there was always a diversion that he was uh, embracing, like embracing a, a diversion. Well, well, from what? And that's where I go. I'm not a licensed psychologist. I'm not a life coach. I don't have a certificate. I don't have anything. I just know how to crawl in because I did it. Yeah. I crawled in myself deep enough to go, oh, wow. That thing that happened then really jacked me. And I always go back to that and hence the anger. So don't get me wrong, dude. I still get angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but the problem was it's when, it's when anger takes over and takes control. And then we, when anger takes control of me, and I've seen this with many other men, that's when we, we lose our, our vision and, you know, if my wife sees me angry or is a recipient of this side ang- this anger and she sees it, it's not towards her, then it, it, it erodes her view of me as a leader. And absolutely, that's where, I, and same with my kids. And so that's where I think us as fathers really have to step our game up. Yep. And we're not going to learn this stuff. Like I didn't learn this stuff until someone called me out. And they're wow. like, dude, what, what story are you telling yourself? Because this is not... Like you're, you're, I think this is a Brene Brown thing, but they're like, you're telling yourself stories. Like what's going on in your head? I'm like the false narratives. That's what I call it, man. So many false narratives. And and then Josh, um, again, I'll, I'll reference him. He's like, uh, anytime I'm upset or someone's doing something I don't think of, I'm like, what do I not know? This is the question he asked. What do I not know about this situation? And there's a few, yeah, there's a few cues that I found that if I can stop and say those to myself, like what story am I telling myself? What do I not know about this information? I almost can immediately stop the cycle. Like it's, it's very quick. Um, And that's what I've learned about stoicism. It's more about controlling those things, not controlling, but shutting off our innate, unreliable un unproductive thoughts and actions that occur out of things outside of our control absolutely you you're trying to control the uncontrollable therefore it's a snowball effect you just get more frustrated and more frustrated uh, there's a vision i had of uh early on uh that some guys i was helping with you know stoicism and stuff because it was such a topic years ago they're like, well, give me a scenario where a guy's, you know, being stoic. And I go, okay, Dirty Harry. Uh, I think it's Dirty Harry 2, or it had a subtitle to it. But he comes home from a long day of just killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's tired by now. Car chases, and uh, everyone hates him, even his boss. And you're going to fire you, blah, blah, blah. And he's a vigilante slash cop and calling everybody punk and shooting their brains out. He comes home. Wife opens the door and starts beating on his chest and slapping his face, yelling all these profanities at him. And he's just taking it. And she looks up at him and her hair's a mess. And she looks up in his eyes and he looks down at her and says, are you done? Sounds right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm going to go to the fridge. I'm going to get some. How you, how was your day? You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, it's an exaggeration. You don't want to be a doormat to anybody, but he didn't let his emotions run the day. Yeah, he did. He did what he had to do to succeed and he, all the way to being home. And he didn't bring his work home with him. He didn't come home and just go, oh, honey, I shot four people today and my boss just hates me. I might get fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was dirty, hairy, man. He just he, I bet his wife never even heard a blip about his day at work. Right. And if right. you want to know, great. Share it with him. You know what I mean? But do it in a joyous voice and just go, yeah, this is what my day was like. It was this, this, and this. And a lot of, I don't want men listening to this or who read my book, because I explain it better in my book, just to be a, a stoic a-hole. You know what I mean? Right. right. It's not that. You're not a robot, okay? It's just the managing of your emotions. They have to be done. And I fail miserably all the time, but way less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was- I- 
And and that was what I was just going to kind of lead into is we are um, we're you know I believe that men should be the leader in their household. You can have a strong wife. You can have a very leader, a wife who leads. That's great. But when it comes to that emotional leadership on that um, that place, there's a real fine balance. And um, I had a a guy I was interviewing at the very beginning of the brotherhood, and he's like, um, and. I also heard that I think Abraham Lincoln alluded to the same thing. It's velvet and steel. Uh, we have to be men, velvet and steel. And I love that because with the velvet, with our wives, but we also have to be that steel armor of, I will protect you from yeah. physical harm. I will protect you from emotional harm. Therefore, we have to be prepared mentally, emotionally, and physically to do what we need to do to be that steel but we also need to have the emotional openness um and mostly for us it's it's um listening to our wives not making our wives listen to us that's the key word right there listen yeah yeah Yeah. and what i learned um another thing that i talk a bit about is um my wife will come to me with something she's dealing with and you've probably experienced this bad, bad day they're they're very emotional beings and um and uh, as soon as you try and solve the problem you are the problem so that is the thing (laughs) is the very first thing i do is i try to solve the problem every time yeah Yeah. and and i've learned just so i'm so robotic about it now but she absolutely loves it because i'm like hey baby before we get started do you is this something you want me to help you fix or am i just listening today and she will be like you're just listening. Boom. Yep. And I'm just, I'm, man, I'm, I'm an absolute mess inside because like you could have yeah. done this, you could have done that. But oh, yeah. man, that for me is, matter. that's, that's where we are velvet because our steel would come out with a hammer and start crushing this problem. Yep. Um, but, but uh, so I just love that. I love the, the fact that stoicism and you're pointing this out does not mean a death to emotion. It does not mean that you are an, a robot. And I think that's why I first thought that stoicism was ridiculous. I started an article. I started a blog called Why I Hate Stoicism. And oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this was not long ago. But the, but the whole thing was why I first totally fought the idea, like completely fought the idea. And then on the other end, I was like, but when I really learned what it was, then I was uh, – okay with it. Like I, I was like, Oh, embrace this process, understand this process, learn what's going on. And then, um, this is just a way to handle emotions and, yeah. it, and it made sense. Yeah. There's a really super funny video out and it was from years ago, probably five or six years ago. And, uh, one of the guys, one of my men found it cause he was studying the stoicism tip too. It's called, uh, it's not about the nail. Have you seen that? No, no. It's people talking on a couch. You see the back of their heads. And she's going through her rigmarole of her day. And she just I wants have to this. Keep going, though. What's that? I have seen this, but keep going. Oh, okay, yeah. So you don't notice what's going on because it's the back of their heads. And she goes, it just feels like this huge headache. Like, like there's a huge nail just going right through my, my temple. And the camera pans around and the guy's listening. And there are now the cameras at the front of the couch. And she has this huge, like, 18-inch railroad spike going through her head, The you know, special effects and everything, prosthetics. Right. And he goes, have you ever thought about taking the nail out of your head? Honey, it's not about the nail, okay? Just listen. <laughs> and she's like, my sweaters rip when I put them on. Yeah. <laughs> can't get them over the nail. And he has all the solutions in the world because she has a freaking nail in her head. But no, it's not about the nail. <laughs> yeah, that's it's hilarious, but also points out a really good point. <laughs> that's the purest form of it right there. And yeah. you nailed it right there because you ask your wife, and that's awesome. You're just like, hey, man, am I listening or helping solve? Yeah. 9.9% of the time, it's going to be listening. Yeah. 99.9% of the yeah. time. It's oh just yeah! Listen, as soon as you start solving the problem, you are the problem. Do not fall for that. Yep. You know, and 
a lot of men do because they're fixers and then they deem their wife incapable. And then you're going to rent, they can make them feel like they've been rendered useless because they can't even talk to you, let alone solve their own problems. Yeah. They can multitask. And I wanted to touch on leadership in the household. A lot of men don't realize this. Maybe it's just my own theory. I don't know, but it's what I've noticed through the years. Men are leaders and women can be too, right? Absolutely. Uh, We both can be, but in the household, it's better if the man leads and the woman manages. The women can manage way better than a man can lead and vice versa. Follow me. Yep. So what that looks like is, you know, honey, we're, um, I I call my wife on the way home, honey, we're going to dinner tonight. Great. Where you decide I'll pick you up at seven. I'll be home and ready to go at seven. She's, she's got the reservations. She knows where we're sitting, who's coming along with us, what flavor of food, whatever. She manages it. The perfect example is last time me and my wife um, went camping. Um, she managed the whole thing. Now, the camping thing. Now, of course, I when we went with the family, we, we were camping as a family unit, and I was the leader and everything. But she had everything. You ever noticed that? She manages everything. She made sure the meals were there, the fed, and everything. So... Um, look at that for you guys that aren't married out there. Um, you want to find a good manager. If you're a good leader, find a good manager uh, because they, they go great hand in hand. It's not about delegating. It's not about the leader telling the wife what to do. No, it's not about that because chances are she's going to tell you what to do more in yep. helping you lead. Yep. That's where the joint venture part. There's, comes. there's incredible teamwork that can happen in that, um, yep. in that arena. And I call my wife, the calendar girl. She's my calendar girl. And there's two, there's obviously two reasons there. One, I, you know, she's smoking hot and I totally married up and um, I just won the lottery. Whatever it is. She's even taller than me. Um, but 99% of the world is taller than me. But the other thing is, is she, she manages time and events and things so incredibly well. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just tell my calendar girl about it. And she's got it on the calendar, you know, um, and she does that for my boys too. You know, she's got the, their calendar completely loaded. And that's in their DNA. Yeah. That's not gone. Uh, Rosie the Riveter from that point on didn't ruin that. It just enhanced it even more. Yeah. Uh, they've always been, they, you know, I speak in generalizations. Okay. If a female listens to this podcast, I don't want to sound like a misogynistic separator of genders and that, I, but I do generalize. Why? Yeah. The DNA has not been butchered. The DNA is still the same. The family unit it should be still the same. The nuclear family, I fully believe in that. So when I say they, yeah, I'm generalizing. Yeah. yeah I generalize everything. Yeah. <laughs> good starting point anyway, right? Well, I do too. I think it's good disclaimer, but it's because in general, it tends to be there tends to lead towards the truth (laughs) so yeah um you know and my wife would say she's independent but we're also she's we're very dependent she's very dependent on me but she's just a go-getter i think there's some real what you're dropping into a whole new content or uh conversation here but yeah there is a place and she would say i am the leader of the home she would say that and she will say uh Ultimately, that's your decision, like whatever we need to do. And, and I think it's really important. Another thing that, that's really important for men in these circumstances where they're working on their emotions and they're working on leadership, and because I think every man needs to acknowledge and accept that his role should be a leader. Yeah. And if he can't do that, he's going to probably live in turmoil for a lot of his life. And um, you know, Josh and I would say we're experts in men and family leadership. That's, that's really where we like really want to hone in is like, Hey guys, someone's got to lead your family and your wife may be an amazing leader and incredibly impactful and, and just as skilled as can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when it, when it comes to just the operations of the day and things that need to take place, uh, we both have our places and, yep. and it's an absolute team approach totally. but, and it does not devalue the woman's role. It does not devalue. It doesn't say she can't be wor- a work. It can't be, she say she can't be a CEO. It doesn't mean she has to be a, a homeschooling mom. That is not what we're saying. 
At least right. that's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying either. I just yeah. generalize a lot and uh, I speak in generalizations uh, because the DNA is still intact. Yep. It's only been about 50 to, well, about 60 to 70 years actually now. I forget how old I am. Uh, since the Industrial Revolution, where women really entered the workplace as the force that they are, which I think is the beginnings of the demasculation of men and the challenges that we have. I think it first took place in, actually in the workplace, and then it took place at home, because right. you had the generalizations colliding. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other podcast if you want to talk well, about that. Well, I... I- I have been like listening to people talk about demasculinization and um, toxic masculinity and this movement to uh, really kind of pull the man, the man's role down and Hey, like just stop for a moment and go watch band of brothers or go watch a war movie or go watch. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's part of who we are and it cannot be, it it's actually there so we can provide and we can defend. And We've always done the dirty work. It's so important. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your book. I have to be honest. I haven't read it and I'm not going to hide that. That's cool. Join yeah. the club. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, brand new. it's only been out for about a month. Yeah. Okay. And is it, where can people find it? It's again, just so you guys know, it's titled, uh, wow, I re- Code of Honor, a field manual. I love the field manual part. We'll talk about field that. Field manual for a hero's journey. I believe oh. every, every man has hero DNA in him. Um, uh, circumstances and the man may change according to that title, but every man has hero DNA. Yep. And actually, our, uh, a commercial for me too, it, our Ultimate Dad Project, a big chunk of that is actually um, carving out your own hero. like. Like yeah. actually let's, let's put into place what, you, who your hero is, like make your hero persona. And it's cool. an actual practice that actually works really well. So code yeah. of honor. Um, so what drove you to write this book? Like, let's, let's go back to the origins. Okay. Um, started with the men's ministry and a lot of stuff that I was doing on my pilgrimage to find out how I could be the best man and, uh, you know, not go through another divorce hopefully get married again and have a family. How was I going to do that in my mid forties? Uh, what does your atypical man look like? What should he look like? What beliefs should he have? Um, and through that and through the knowledge I retained through the courses and uh, I was part of an accountability team up in North Hollywood um, called Geronimo they helped out a lot too. They had their own code of honor. And I, you know, they did all this stuff, which is very secular. It was almost like a, if you can imagine a fight club and accountability team, they got back to the primal state of man. So I did that for a year. Um, but that was it. And then I took that to help the Christian men because they were secular. There were some Christian men in it who got it. Right. And it's not a matter of separating the two, but, um, I mean, even legally, you couldn't do what the stuff we were doing in that because you just couldn't, right? Yeah. yeah. First rule about Fight Club is I just violated it, but it wasn't a Fight Club, but right. it would go to that level. If someone was emotionally distraught to the level where he was going to go home with physicality, a guy would step up and say, I'll be your wife. Take it out on me. And it would just turn into an ugly middle-aged wrestling match anyway. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't any cage fighters in there, believe me. So applying that to the men's ministry, the check-ins from that first Bible study on, um, it organically happened. What was the 12 codes of what I saw were lacking in today's man? It's like a to-do list. It's not a works list if you want to talk Christianese, but it's basically a reference guide. There's 12 codes. If you, and we're going to talk about terms right now, if you pick two of them and just live by those two, you're fine. You're good. The rest of them will fall into play. 
Um, my first one, the first code is a man's duty is to God to love and serve him with a whole heart, soul, and mind. You don't have to pick that one. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, I don't care what belief system you have, the code of honor still applies. Okay, be the best man you could possibly be out there. The community needs it, right? Yep. So that's my first one. The second one is I don't fight unhonorable battles, and that's uh, code number eight. So, like yeah, and you mentioned it. You, you um, choose your battles, make sure they're honorable. And um, I'm sorry, it's code 10. But um, those are my terms. So now I'm a man with terms now. What are terms? Something you die for. Something you would defend, something you would defend with a fight, even if it got physical, okay? Even to the point to where you would even die, okay? Those are my terms, and I'm not budging on them. Those are the terms I bring into my house. Those are the terms I bring into my work. Those are the terms I bring into my friendships. Those are my terms. In terms, I'm a walking contract. Those are my terms and conditions. I love it. I call them my order. So I have my order, and those are like in the order that I would die for, literally. It's, it's literally, this is above, it's a hierarchy of, and, my, you know, for me, it's God, then my wife, then my boys. I mean, there's literally an order. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. I love it. The, um, the movie, The Gladiator, when you talk about terms, when the, the uh, River, uh, not River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix's character comes down, and he goes, I want to know who this gladiator is. Who are you? And he's got his back turned, you know, the helmet reveal. And there's a lot in that movie that oh, has man. to do with what we're talking about right now, oh, especially man. with stoicism, because Marcus Aurelius is the actual king who his son killed. And he embraces his son. He goes, my faults as a father are now your faults as a son. Why? He took stoicism too far. Yeah. He didn't reveal emotions. He wasn't real to his son. Okay. I, that's what I took out of that. And I, the Marcus no, Aurelius is like the founder or the, the originator of Stoicism. Uh, no, he just kind of refined it. He didn't okay. really. The Greeks did. He took the Greeks' belief system and wrote on it and studied it and kind of blew it up. He yeah, was the okay, Paul. that makes sense. Yeah. He was the Paul of the <laughs> Stoicism. Right. I got um, Yeah, he publicized it. So... He approaches him. He's down in the Colosseum. He turns, he takes his helmet off, and he tells him his terms. He tells him who he is. Right. Yep. I am blah, 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 and I am a father of a murdered son, husband of a slaughtered wife, and I'll have my revenge in this life and the next. Those were his terms. That's what he was living off of. Those were his terms. Now, they weren't really correct, or he wasn't really benefiting the community. He was vengeful, but that's who he was. <laughs> and he yeah. told you. Every man should be able to tell you straight up in two sentences who he is. Maybe one. One sentence with enough conjunctions or and button ors in it to lay down who he is. That's, who are you? That's who a great you? challenge for men. A really good challenge. And I, it sounds to me like if they picked up your book, they could lay that out through, through the... the re, yeah, the book was taught with... Myself, uh, the pastors and teachers at the church, even just the men in the men's ministry would grab onto it. The code of honor was our uh, belief system. We have it hanging on the walls there uh, at the man cave that we have there in the offices. And it was the way that men's ministry was ran. And through the course of teachings, we made audible recordings of some of the teachings and actually passed it on as a flash drive. And men were craving it. They're like, what's this? Well, it's kind of a how-to. Remember I told you the guys that get out of jail, the commonality was bad dad or no dad. They didn't have guys speaking into them like this, okay? So it's kind of like fishing with dynamite. So we did the audible thing, which was okay. It was recorded with a cruddy mic on a Wednesday night at a ministry, right? Um, And we kept running out of the flash drives because it was sought after. I'm like, okay, I got to get the book done. Well, COVID hit and I had a bunch of free time on my hands because I got furloughed. So I'm like, now's the time. Here's the free time I'm looking for. Finish the book, put it out. And I just want to get it in as many guys' hands as possible. It's not a profit thing. I'm, I, I get nickels per book yeah. that yeah. way. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let, let's demystify that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. 
not going to be on New York's bestseller list, but what it's going to do, I believe in small chunks, it can change the community around you, especially with men that didn't have that dad that taught him these. Now I say bad dad or no dad. Sometimes people have both. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, They got a dad who's there. Who's just uh, physically, but not teaching them to be raised up and prepared for life. I'd say we have a lot of those, a lot of those men. That's, that's a more common now. I mean, I know that uh, fatherless homes are very, very common, but fatherless homes exist in uh, excess where there's actually men still there. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Bad dad or no dad, or sometimes both. It is both. Yeah. Both. I get it. Um, So that's why it's kind of like a fishing with dynamite thing. I can't, uh, teach every Wednesday. I can't, I got my day job, right? Yeah. So the book was written out of necessity. Really it was, bro. It was written out of uh, a demand that I saw out there. And if it helps one guy, fine. Yeah. It already has. I know that. So let's go for more. Yeah. Uh, and put it in the hands of guys that are in recovery so they can have, and I mean, to have a guideline, that's why I call it a field manual. It's small enough to fit in your back pocket. It's less than a hundred pages. It's so less than a hundred pages. Cause some of the pages, I just put little snippets, right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a Zig Ziglar Ziglar. <laughs> yep. Yep. I know exactly. Like a, what I'm talking about. Flurgan Flurgan on the Blurgan is a Blurgan. Oh wow. How enlightening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think field guide should be able to sit in your pocket. Otherwise, it's not a field guide. It's a it's a bag guide. You know, you yeah. gotta carry you gotta carry it in, the, in your luggage. You can literally read it in an hour. Mm-hmm. It's that easy. It's I, yeah. You can barely call it a book. It's a field manual. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know I'm gonna pick up a a copy. Um, I want to uh, I want to wrap this up. So okay. you're a new newer father. And, um, how are you going to pass on these? What's your, what's your, your biggest tactical way you're going to pass this on to your son? What the code of honor or just who I am? Who you are. Okay. What you want him to know. Show him, not tell him. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Period. Show him, not tell him, because he's already watching, and he already—he's three and a half. He's already calling me out. Yeah, you guys. Um, oh, you know what? Before we wrap up, I'm so sorry to our listeners who are like, uh, <laughs> like right they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, uh, you told me you told me something that I really, really like, and I've actually done, and I wish I would have done more. And it's about fights, fighting. Um, go into a little bit about this with your what you and your son do, and okay, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, now I read this, uh, from a psychologist who I, uh, trust and I find it working. I see it in him already. He's three and a half and he's just fearless. And what I do, what me and you were talking about is rough and tumble play. Now the rough and tumble play, I make it vigorous. I make it hard and I make it hurt a little bit. Now, a mother's job for a kid, being the nurturer, is to make sure their kid doesn't get hurt. A father's job to prepare him for life is just to make sure he doesn't get hurt that much. So rough and tumble play, if I'm going to wrestle with him, now we're just wrestling around on the carpet, right? Or we get on our, our bed, and he's into it. Dad, I want to fight. Dad, I want to fight. Can we fight? Can we fight? Why? It's, it's bonding, for one. If you look at the silverback gorillas and how they play with the young apes, uh, prodding and picking on the father ape. Um, they're asking to play rough with the father so they can get a taste of what life is all about. It's almost future forecasting. Every third fight, I let him win. So two, I'll annihilate him, pinch him on the side, flick his forehead with my finger or something, make him sting a little bit, yank yeah. his ear. And uh, he's like, oh, ow. I make him say uncle. You know what I mean? Right. And it's just rough and tumble play. It's fun. I, I make believe I'm hurt. Uh, every third one, I'm like, oh, you got me. You got me. What that does, it builds confidence. It builds interactive, front-forward charging play for a boy. Right. And like I said, the way he walked into that schoolroom was priceless. 
Like he was ready to go in there and just like, yeah, but <laughs> he's three and a half, man. He turned around and goes, what? You're not coming in here. <laughs> Got a little scared, but right. Well, it's going to be still three and a half. I'm not raising a cage fighter. So I don't want to make that clear, but rough and tumble play, let him win one third of the time. Yeah. Because you're still ultimately winning. <laughs> And, and there's a lot, there's a lot to that. I mean, it's, it, yeah. we gotta, we gotta, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we could, I, we could get into the psychology. I could nerd out, nerd out on that, but, um, yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. It's something that I wish I would have done a little more, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I had it modeled. My dad would do that with me all the time. And it's just not something that I picked up. I would think I was too busy, uh, yeah. you know, air quotes too busy. I just didn't know how to manage my time. Um, with my with when my boys were super young, and that's another thing that I'm on a mission for men to not fall into that trap. Is you're too busy to really do the things that you need to do, and I commend you on um, doing that with your son. I think it's incredible, and I know I wanted to thank you also for sacrificing the greeting of your son on his first day of school because he got home in the middle of this podcast. So it's pretty incredible. Thanks a lot for being uh, on the show today. I really appreciate you, man. Love it, man. It's awesome. Good luck with your program. I'm still connected to you guys on Facebook. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, help me get the book out there. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're cut from the same cloth, man. We can oh, finish, yeah. finish each other's sentences, right? <laughs> God forbid you're in California. I have you at a barbecue because it would oh, never yeah. end, right? It's I'd three in the morning. What are they doing in the backyard still? <laughs> they won't. Those guys will never stop talking. Uh, speaking of stopping topping, thank you or talking. Thank you very much, guys and women, for listening to this episode of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. If you want this book, and I'm just going to tell you, order it. I'm going to, um, and I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'll post it. But if you if you want this book, the link will be in the show notes. Paul's going to share that with me. You'll be able to click the link and go directly to where you need to buy it. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, just like subscribe already. It's time. Just hit that subscribe button. There are so many things that we talked about today. Every single one of them, believe it or not, every single one of those things we teach in the Ultimate Dad Project. It is an incredible, incredible um, program. It lasts 75 days. And if you want to know more about that, uh, you, there will be a website very soon, probably by the time that this is airing, called the ultimate dad project.com or ultimate dad project.com both of them either one so you don't have to remember go on there check it out book a call you can you can chat with me or josh on the phone for 10 minutes to see if it's for you or not because we really believe that every man needs to have these principles in his life we really believe that our uh, our world would be so much better if men would get a hold of these concepts and we could breathe life into our our community and our family one person at a time thank you so much for being a listener have a great week